You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. All right. Well, we're going on a series here through Luke, and today we're going to find ourselves in Luke 6. But before we get there, a little story for you from the Old Testament. There was a time where King David, who's not king yet at this point, is running for his life. Happens many times throughout the Old Testament, because he's got this little bit of a rivalry going on with the guy who's been anointed to be king before him. His name's Saul. Saul is the current king, but he knows that God is raising up David to be usurping him and taking his place because Saul has just more or less messed everything up, isn't following God, and so God has appointed David to take his place. Saul doesn't like this. He gets angry. It turns into this whole soap opera. He gets angry at his own kids. He's basically thrown a spear trying to kill David at one point when he's playing music. He's thrown another spear trying to kill his own son. Saul has lost it, and Saul's son has told David to, to go and seek shelter. So David runs out, and David's hungry. He needs to find food, not only for him, but also for his men who are with him. And so he goes to uh, the priests, and he says, hey, look, uh, here's the deal. We're trying to find some food. And the priest is kind of freaking out because he, he feels like David shouldn't be here, and David kind of creates up a scenario that didn't happen as to why he's there. He's like, no, 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 I've been sent here, and I need some food. So you guys have a few loaves of bread that we can have? And the priest is like, well, no, um, but we have the show bread. And if you know anything about the show bread, this was special bread that was supposed to be in God's sacred space, his, his tabernacle, his holy space. And this was for the priests only to eat. It was kind of like, what they lived off of. It was part of the things that were donated to the temple or created at the temple. So this bread is for priests only. Priests, which David is not. Yet David kind of barges in. He's like, I need some bread. Well, we don't have bread. We only have the holy bread, the sacred stuff, the stuff that's only for the priests. And David's like, well, I could take that. <laughs> and this is our, our guy who's, you know, been anointed by by God to become king. And a lot of times when we read that, we feel a little sketch about it. Like, oh, bro, that's like sacred stuff. You're not supposed to just like walk into sacred places and eat food that's sacredly not set aside for you. But David takes it. He takes the showbread and not only him, but all of his friends eat it. And we read the story and we're kind of like, the ethics, David, seem a little sketch. Not sure if you should have been doing that. You kind of broke a bunch of Old Testament laws, laws that God had put in place through Moses, you, you seem to kind of stretch uh, the understanding of, of what was allowed. And we read that and we feel like it's kind of like moral ethical dilemma. Uh, which one on the Enneagram, does anyone know? Which one's like the rule follower? Is that like the one or something? The one? I, I don't know for sure, but I feel like my mom's the one. Growing up, the rules were in place. They couldn't be broken. You always followed the rules. And I don't mean her rules. I just mean like the wider rules that existed in all of America. Don't break the rules. You won't go to jail. That kind of thing, right? Like don't, don't, don't flex them out. 
And so I, I kind of learned in that regards of like, rules are rules, laws are laws, don't stretch them, uh, don't play with the ethics here. But uh, David plays with the ethics. And Jesus quotes it in Luke 6. Because Jesus, just like David and his friends were hungry and needed food, Jesus and his friends are hungry and need food. So on a Sabbath, which is a day where you do no work, it's a day that comes every single week and you are supposed to just be very restful. Any work that you have to do to get through this day should have been done beforehand. So when this day came, all your food was kind of ready to go. You didn't have to make anything. Sabbath was a day of rest. And the Jews took this very seriously during Jesus' time. They had lots of rules and laws and regulations from the Old Testament that they put into place to make sure that the Sabbath was treated holy by nobody doing any work but just resting. Because God rested on that day, and therefore we should rest on that day. This is all good. This is good ethics. You were not made to be slaves. You were not made to constantly work and make sure the world goes round. No, God wants you to take a break. And God also wants you to trust him. So when that day comes and you're wondering how you will survive if you don't go out and take care of A, B, C, or D, God's saying, you're not a slave. Chill out. Trust me. I can take care of this day. So on the Sabbath day, where you're supposed to be chilling out, Jesus is going through the grain fields with his disciples. And he plucked and ate some heads of grain. Pages are so thin. Hang on. I'm almost there. Okay. He's out plucking some heads of grain, and they rub them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? They're preparing their food. They were supposed to do this ahead of time, right? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat and also to give it to those with him. And he said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus is like, I can do this because I'm awesome. <laughs> I, I'm the one you've been waiting for. Jesus in that state right there, like they've been waiting for a son of a human being, specifically the son of who? Anybody? Son of God, but in a human sense. Da David, I think I heard. Son of David. David one day was supposed to have a human descendant who would fix the world. He was the Messiah. He would be a son of man. And Jesus is essentially saying right here, like, I'm the son of man. I'm the one you've been waiting for. And I am Lord of the Sabbath. How do you think that made the Pharisees feel? <laughs> the Pharisees are like, you just broke the law. And Jesus was like, I'm better than the law. What's up? It probably made them feel like they wanted to kill him, which is kind of where it goes with them. Because Jesus is now breaking laws that they have held as sacred. And Jesus is just like, I can do it. It's cool. It's fine because it's me. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. 
But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, all he said to them, uh, after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. Here he comes again. And now it's gone a step further. Jesus isn't just doing something neutral like he's out in a field eating food. Now Jesus has done something godly. Jesus clearly has this power to heal. And the Jews understood, even if they didn't like Jesus, like that power has to come from God because God is, is the one who, who has to be doing these healing things. And so when Jesus comes and he's like, watch this a step further, I'm not just neutrally eating food and breaking the law. Now I'm breaking the law using God's miracle power. They don't know what to do about it because that's not the way in which, in which fits in their box of laws and how things should go. And it aggravates them. And we're going to see the Pharisees get more and more angry to the point of like, we got to kill this guy because everybody's following him and we're trying to hold the law so that God will come back and save us. And this guy is not holding the law and he's going to get us all killed. God's going to be angry at us because all of our brothers are turning to this Jesus guy. Little do they understand that Jesus is the one that they're waiting for. Jesus is God in flesh. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath and that is who Jesus is. So he's entered in as a son of David and David's son is greater than David. Even David acknowledges that. At one point, Jesus quotes David. Hey, you remember how David said to his son who was to come, he called his son Lord? How does King David call someone else Lord? Well, that son who is to come must be greater than David. Now, kings, it is the job of kings to figure out how laws work. So often when we read the Bible, we read it as though laws are laws and they have to be followed. Here's 613, follow them to a T, don't mess it up and you have pleased God. But that is not how laws work. And I've said this many times before. I have been to the courts here in Jackson. I have watched the judges up in front of everybody know what the rules are, no questions they could ask, and intentionally ignore them because they saw that there was goodness that needed to be found and that the rules would not find that goodness. The law only makes sense through people who practice it with wisdom. Those 613 rules that you find in the Old Testament only make sense if someone is interpreting them correctly. That shouldn't sound so complicated. Yeah. Yeah, they got pretty much ticked off by anything Jesus did. <laughs> uh, but in this case, it was because he was breaking rules, uh, rules that they wanted to follow. But Jesus says, I'm breaking rules for good. He uses an analogy somewhere else. He's like, look, if you've got an animal that falls into a pit, are you just going to be like, well, can't save it today. It's a Sabbath. She's like, no, because that's not the point of how the rules work. Rules are put in place because God is a God of order. God is not a God of anarchy. And a lot of times when we get angry at things like governments, our, our first impulse is like, down with the government, let's destroy it. 
And while God has a lot of critique in the Bible on governments, he is also not anti-government because God is a God of order. And if governments are doing their job correctly, which they are never doing in full, if governments are doing their jobs correctly, they are establishing order, goodness, and justice. And the critique of the Bible is not, get rid of all the governments, they're messing it all up. The, the critique of the Bible is, keep those governments in line because they are not listening to me, they are not doing goodness, they are not executing justice, they are not doing the right things. So right here, you have Jesus come and show us, like, look, What's the Sabbath about? Well, it's about love. It's about rest. It's about peace. You're not a slave. Take a break. Rest. That's what the Sabbath is about. It's not about perfectly holding to all of these little rules to make sure that the Sabbath is not broken because you took too many footsteps in one day. Those rules, every, every Sunday, those rules are there to help you understand the point of Sabbath. And have you ever been in a place where rules miss the point? Where the goodness that could come in a situation can't happen because there's legal things in the way that mess it up? It's not always that those rules are bad. They just, they don't execute what they are trying to do. So here's an example, and this is super uh, neutral. It's very unmoral. There's like no, you gonna be like, wow, Jamie, that's the example you chose. But I'll, I'll just use this example. I've been in Tennessee all week, and my wife and I ended up at Paladines, which I don't know anything about now, except that she makes everything with butter, is what I have learned. I'm pretty sure the mashed potatoes were literally just melted butter with a few sprinkles of potato flakes. Anyways, whatever the case. It's family style at Paladines, and you cannot take food home. Otherwise, at the end of your meal, what would you do? You just say, because it's refills on everything. You would just say, I'll get a refill on every single thing I had. And then you would cram it all in a box and you would take it home, right? So the rule is there that you cannot take food home. But about midway through our meal, I decided I wanted more butter, <laughs> more mashed potatoes. And I said, I will take another bowl. And before they finally brought the bowl out, I had eaten too much of the other butter products and I was not ready to eat those potatoes. And I had to face this dilemma. I either stuff myself and throw up after, or I leave the potatoes here because the rules are I can't take them home. But there's a third option. I could take the potatoes and put it in my pocket. <laughs> now, would that be breaking the rules? Absolutely. But is it honoring the point of the rules? The point of the rules is that I'm not cheating my way to get more potatoes to take home. That's what they're trying to avoid. I did not dishonestly order these potatoes. And the goodness of this situation is that it's good not to waste food, right? This is a product right in front of me that is going to be thrown in the trash if I do not eat it. Taking it home would actually be more good, more loving, more honorable to God's creation, except for the gluttony piece of it, right? Butter in my pants. Pretty sure that was one of the products you could buy in the store downstairs, yeah. Butter pants. Uh, whatever the case, if I would have taken those potatoes, I would not have felt that I morally broke the rules, even though someone like my mom would have. Or my wife probably would have felt that way. She's nodding at me right now. 
because the point of those rules was to stop other things from happening. I would actually be honoring the heart behind such a business to take care of the products that I had. Had I ordered them to sneak them out in my pocket, then I'd be breaking the rules. See, we run into these things all the time. I serve on so many different boards in Jackson, and the rules that are in place often get in our way of serving the poor and marginalized. For example, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people be like, I have to get out of my house, but I can't get out of my house. And I go to the places that can get me out of my house to get help, and what they tell me I have to do is get an eviction. And if I get evicted, then they can help me get out of my house. And I understand the heart behind that because it's like, look, we need to know you hit rock bottom so that we can help you. But people who are just trying to get by are already at rock bottom. And if you make them get the eviction, they have now just hit rock bottom even more. And whatever places they go to after that, they have an eviction on their record. And now they can't get into other places except for the places in which those places can get you into. This is just one example of about 100 different rules that... 30 organizations at the Continuum of Care just sit there and talk about all the legalities that get in our way of helping the homeless. Over and over and over again. When we started Jackson Harm Reduction, we could not legally exist as an organization until we had gone to city council and explained to them why we should exist and why they should change the legal rules of the city of Jackson so that we could exist to help people in a way that felt backwards. We had to go and we had to present. And it took us a long time. It took us like a year to get that up and running. Why? Because we faced other issues along the way. The city manager did not want us to exist and intentionally did not put us on the agenda until we had to push our ways to, to the front of the room to make it happen. There are rules in place and rules are good and rules should be followed. But rules sometimes get in the way of doing good things and trying to help people and trying to save people's lives. And this is why Jesus is so important to the Christian, because Jesus is the perfect interpreter of the law. Why? Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. When you want to figure out how to live right, your first job isn't to go to the 613 laws that are in the Old Testament. Your first job is to go to Jesus, who will teach you how those laws fit in your scenario. And I'm not calling you to do ethically shady things at all. What I am calling you to do is to go to Jesus, because the Pharisees were holding the laws better than anybody. And yet they were missing the point entirely, right? They missed Jesus entirely, right? Because they had their focus on the rules and the regulations and they missed the God behind them. And they had him killed for it. How often has that happened in your life where you're so focused on the rules and regulations and pleasing God and trying to hold to all of these perfect things that you miss the God behind them? That was Paul's dilemma. Paul was like, look, as far as Pharisees go, I was perfect. Uh, that's classic Paul's statement. <laughs> I pulled it off. 
So many of us are like, man, nobody could hold this thing up. Paul disagreed. He's like, no, I like memorized the whole thing. I live by every rule. I did it perfect. Did Paul have it right? From a book perspective, yes. But from a God perspective, no, because he was killing people in the church, or at least persecuting them, taking them off to jail. He was ravenous watching Christians get martyred and approving of it. And the whole time he thought he was following God because he had rules in a book. And then God knocked him off his high horse and said, Hey, I'm Jesus. <laughs> I'm the one you're looking for. And also the one you're persecuting. Paul had to redirect from following the law to following the law incarnate. To following the law in a person. And that's why sometimes you're going to find Christians find themselves in sketchy situations where somebody is about to be deported and yet they come to your church because they know your church is a safe place and the government can't deport them while they're in there. That is us breaking the rules, but we're breaking the rules in honor of loving someone and taking care of them and wanting to step in on their behalf to bring them to the right place and see what kind of amendments we can make with the government. That's why when someone like Shane Claiborne, all these homeless people were living in this rundown church, and then the government had had enough of it in this town, and they came and said, we're going to kick you all out. That's why someone like Shane Claiborne came and said, look, we're, we're not going to let you do that. These people are under our care. And then the whole city kind of rised up and said, all right, we need, to, we need to bring this together and take care of our homeless. And people started getting the homeless in their attention. Because some Christians were breaking the rules to say this is not okay. This is why in some cities there are rules that you can't feed the homeless as though they're pigeons at the park. And when Christians would come around and be like, no, we're still going to feed the homeless. And those Christians would end up in jail. Martin Luther King Jr. called it being maladjusted. That when you find injustice in your government or your communities or your state or the nation, you have to sometimes become a little maladjusted, but for good purpose. You're only maladjusted to, to love, and that includes loving your enemies. Martin Luther King Jr.'s idea was don't show the enemies that they're wrong and just be like, ha, you don't understand what's going on. Martin Luther King Jr.'s idea was win them over. Love them so well that they say, you know what, you're right, and we're going to join your side. And then your, your group grows because your enemies have been won over. I mean, if that's not Jesus, I don't know what is. So you're going to find Jesus all throughout the Gospels breaking some rules. But in the end, he's not actually breaking the heart of the rules. Because when things get in the way of love and goodness, those are rules that shouldn't be in place or practiced in the way in which they're practiced. When the Pharisees are like, look, you can't heal that guy because it's a Sabbath, Jesus is like, you missed the point. Is it right to do good on the Sabbath? Well, yes, of course, it's God's day. Then I'm going to heal this man's hand. Is it right for me and my disciples to eat food on the Sabbath, or should we starve? Well, yes, you should eat. This is God's day. He's given abundance for us to live off of. Well, then we're going to eat. Go to Jesus. There are times where you'll realize the rules that you put in place missed the mark. It happens in churches all the time. 
Many pastors refuse to meet with women because they're afraid they'll accidentally do something with them, which I think is a little weird. So a bunch of women are unable to find any help in the church. Well, men can go in easily. That is a rule that is unjust. That does not take care of the whole church. That does not offer counseling to everybody. And I understand why the rule is there. They're trying to protect their purity. But if you're afraid you're accidentally going to do that because someone else is in the room with you, I think you probably got to work on some other stuff. We let rules get in the way of helping people. And when we do that, we miss the point. So Jesus, here we are. We are all subject to rules that miss the point. And often we find ourselves having to break rules to prophetically provoke people to recognize that things are not okay and that things are off. So teach us, Jesus, what the law looks like because we know that the law is not a rule book, it's you. Teach us, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life because we know the way is not the Bible, but you are the word of God. We know the Bible only makes sense when we read it with your Holy Spirit. And we know that when we read the Bible without your Holy Spirit, we actually condemn people and do pain to people and use your name in vain by attributing you to verses which are not being enlightened by your Holy Spirit along the way. Like that guy in the movie Book of Eli who just wants a Bible because if he can quote it, he can turn everybody to do whatever he says. Jesus, that's not the way. You are the way. Jesus, the truth isn't the kinds of things that we think. The truth is a person. The truth is you. Life is not the things that we think will give us the most life-giving ways of going about this side of the resurrection. Life is you. And that means even if we're martyred for you, even if we die for you while trying to find justice for you, we've actually found life, not death. So come, be the fullness of our law. Teach us to love. Teach us to understand when we come in contact with ethics that don't make sense in this world, to be maladjusted to them. That we might look at uh, the state and be able to be a prophetic um, provoking to them, but also, God, that we might provoke the church how the church needs to wake up to so many of the things it's put in place because they think it helps people when in fact they are persecuting them. Wake us up. Provoke us. Prophesy over us that we might be good and just, that we might follow the law who is Jesus, the fulfillment of the law. So here we are. We're yours. Teach us. In Jesus' name, amen.